Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by www.livinglies.wordpress.com, GTC Honored, and The Garfield Firm, serving all 50 states with news and analysis of the latest bank scams against borrowers, homeowners, consumers, and investors, and providing legal representation throughout Florida. This program is for general information only. It is not a solicitation for services or legal representation and should never be used as a substitute for advice from a licensed professional. And now, here's world-renowned financial expert, attorney, and blogger, Neil Garfield. And hello, this is Neil Garfield, and this is Thursday, October 8th, 2015. Tonight we have a return engagement with attorney Patricia Rodriguez from the great state of California to talk about exciting developments in foreclosure defense, rescission, and she also tackles the issue of how to organize cases for litigation or modification. Anyone who practices law will tell you that you need to know the law, which she does, but you also need to know your client, the facts, and be able to decide on the best strategy based on facts. Patricia is a dynamic speaker and, a, and well-versed in the law, and particularly well-versed in foreclosure defense and rescission. And I again want to uh, mention to all of you who follow this show and the blog that the AMGAR strategy, which is also referred to as the tendering strategy, is apparently taking hold in several states, at least in the eastern part of the country. In a nutshell, and this will be for another show, People are making bona fide cash offers to pay the amount demanded by the foreclosing party if they can produce the original note and prove ownership, authority, and balance. And these people who are doing that are getting the same results that we here have seen in 14 cases, very nice settlements. And for those of you who know something about bills and notes, the UCC, think about this question. In the entire history of this foreclosure mess, why has nobody ever claimed to be a holder in due course? I know there are some exceptions to that, but basically nobody has. My answer is that the banks don't have anyone who fits the description of an actual creditor, and there's a reason for that. They have people holding all kinds of paper, but nobody who ever paid for the principal of the so-called loan. So where's the money? And where did the money come from? And where did it go? Think about it. I'm broadcasting live from Broward County, Florida, brought to you by the Living Lies blog, GTC Honors, AMGAR, and the Garfield Firm with offices in South Florida. And this show is specially brought to you because of donations to the Living Lies blog from listeners like you. Thank you. And for those of you who are not yet contributors, we ask that you call 954 954- and pledge whatever you think you can afford. On the West Coast, you can dial 520-405-1688. If this show has value for you, then please make a contribution to help us continue helping you and everyone else. Living Lies with 11 million visits is the number one place on the Internet to get information, forms, facts, and opinions 
from a variety of sources on foreclosure defense, consumer loans, student loans, car loans, and, of course, rescission, which I've been talking about at length for months now. Our mission is to share as much information as we can to help homeowners and other consumers who may not be aware of the effect that the housing crisis has had, but sure know that they know that they are not in as good a position as they think they should be. And we are succeeding as more and more lawyers across the country are smelling blood in the water as they realize that there is a winning strategy in both foreclosure defense and rescission. There is gold in all of those so-called bank errors I have said from the beginning were intentional. I know how they work. Long ago, I was one of them. I was talking about the changes just over the last year with Jeff Barnes, one of the lawyers who litigates in many states, and we were in agreement that the Jessenowski decision and some other decisions have either created a huge vacuum or a new world order. Things are changing as we get closer to demonstrating that the entire securitization scheme was a hoax and that there is no real party and in interest in these foreclosures. There's a whole other set of transactions that are the real transactions. In the final analysis, it is my opinion that the banks have stepped on a rake again. But the only way we are going to get there is with knowledge, not just opinions. And that is why I am promoting people who are doing seminars. In addition to the one up in Northern California on the 17th, Patricia Rodriguez has put together a seminar for October 31st on Halloween for both lawyers and lay people who want to get a glimpse of what it takes to organize a case, categorize it, and make decisions on strategy and tactics. I've seen and read her seminar materials, and I am impressed. She nails the one area that lawyers generally don't do well, organization, and keeping track of all the real pertinent points in each case so the lawyer can choose and pursue the strategies that are most likely to get traction. Patricia, welcome back to the Neil Garfield Show. Oh, it's such a pleasure. It's always great to hear your voice and to hear all the great information you have for everyone. Well, Patricia, you know, this show has been growing, so each week we get a bunch of new listeners. Can you give us a brief history of your education and how you came to concentrate, uh, concentrate on foreclosure defense in your practice? Sure. Yeah, it'd be my pleasure. So my background is all was originally in criminal defense, and then I found myself, you know, wanting to help borrowers and the homeowners, and I got involved in foreclosure defense, and that's really where I've practiced now for five or six years, and I've even been designated by a criminal court in the areas of foreclosure defense as an expert witness. I've practiced all through the state of California in both state court and federal court in all four federal districts, and um, I am great to and honored that I'll be able to host this seminar at my alma mater at USC, who's co-hosting our upcoming seminar. Tell us a little bit about that seminar. Uh in terms of if you can give us a couple of teasers and highlights of what the seminar will be about. 
sure. Um, and again, it's being hosted here at USC um, by the uh, co-hosted by the mock trial team. Um, there will be two speakers, myself and Mr. Hill from my office. We're both very well versed in foreclosure defense and have litigated both in commercial and residential disputes between borrowers and banks over the last five and six years. The seminar is going to focus on litigation techniques, strategies under the Senate Bill 900 that's specific here to California, uh, modification review, as well as, excuse me, as well as federal regulations that also govern the modification review. We're going to cover securitization and standing issues, and we're going to have a big chunk on rescission and all of the issues around rescission, whether it's the statute of limitations or the statute of repose and the issues of consummation. That, that's a good overview. One, Patricia, one of the things that really attracted my attention in going through your materials is that you're providing the participants with a text that is about as exhaustive as I've ever seen um, in terms of not only the, and it's interesting that the checklist combines, this is something I didn't think of, uh, it not only combines getting facts from the prospective client when you're doing the interview, but also uh, at, at, in real time, at the same time, checking off those issues that occur to the person doing the interview that, or the lawyer that reviews it afterwards that will possibly be used in developing a strategy. Um, the, 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 the presence of, of a, an exhaustive checklist like that uh, vastly exceeds anything that I've attempted, and um, and I think that um, it's it's a one of the very strong points of the seminar that you're presenting. Can you tell me how you arrived at that checklist and how it? it I assume it's continuing to evolve. Certainly. Um, so, yes, all attendees to the seminar are going to receive a 27-page syllabus that goes into great detail all of the various issues that we'll cover. But in addition to that, they are going to receive what's in and of itself a at least a $250 value in the issue spotting checklist and client interview questions that's 10 pages. So it's a little bit more concise than the actual syllabus itself. And what it does is it gives you 31 causes of action, 31 different things that you can sue for. It breaks each one of those different causes of action down into questions that you can ask your client or potential client to see if they have that cause of action. In addition to these questions, it also gives you the elements of each cause of action that's required for you to prove that that's actually been a violation that's occurred, you know, that the defendants have done. And so it's exactly what it says, an issue spotting checklist and a client interview questionnaire that allows you to take any potential client from A to B and figure out exactly what you can sue for, exactly why you can sue for it, and how viable is that claim for that particular client. The checklist is actually a creation from the beginning of when I started practicing in this area to now. So you're getting five years worth of distilled down 
exactly what you can sue for, exactly whether or not you have those claims in this particular case. And, you know, with the seminar, in addition to the material itself, I'll be going through and saying which one of these causes of action, is it a servicing cause of action? Is it an origination cause of action? Is it a selling cause of action like securitization? Which ones work the best in California courts? Which ones work the best in federal court? Which ones work the best in state court? Which ones work the best in bankruptcy court? So you'll, you'll leave the seminar not only with a checklist of 31 things that you can sue for, but also an understanding of which one of those 31 things are the best to find for your client. And one of the things that I, I liked about the presentation of the checklist is that by grouping the each cause of action, Obviously, you can't use a shotgun approach without uh, getting a very resistant judge. Uh, so, you, you know, my advice has always been to lawyers, you know, okay, you've got 31 causes of action, pick two. And what, what the, uh, the checklist does, in my opinion, or at least that's how it impacted on me, is that I could see how we could develop the necessary facts on each one and kind of grade them as to which ones were the strongest so that we could lead with those. Um, and, and I think that uh, that, that is, uh, again, one of the very strong points of, of, this, of this seminar. Um, so how do people... Um, sign up for the seminar at at USC, and um, what are the contact? Uh, what's the contact information? Great. All they need to do is go to my website at www.attorneyprod.com. That's attorney spelled out and p r o d dot com, and click on the registration. It's on the main page, and that'll take you right to the registration page. And all you do is fill out that questionnaire, make the payment, and you're all set up to come to the seminar. Sounds great. I, uh, uh, you know, you've been on before, and we've talked about rescission and foreclosure defense. Um, what is your current view of the landscape? You mentioned federal court, state court, bankruptcy court. What is your current view of that landscape now in relation to what people will often call uh, bias in the courts um, in terms of whether things are turning out well or better for homeowners? Well, I think it's really key and important, again, to do that checklist and to decide what you want to sue for, what you've got the strongest claims for. Um, you know, again, I group them from origination claims to servicing claims to securitization claims. My experience, I find that servicing claims, those involving, you know, where there hasn't actually been a default or there's been a misaccounting of a payments uh, and how they've been applied to interest or principal, as well as loan modification review mistakes that have, you know, 
resulted in dual tracking. All of those claims are extremely favorable in state court, especially, and even to some degree in federal court, although the federal courts, I don't think, take as great of a view towards SB 900. Although the, if you use the federal regulations that govern loan modification review, I think the federal courts are more willing to enforce those against the banks. Then after that, you know, I would say um, comes securitization and those issues, although those issues, at least in California, are pending before the California Supreme Court, so it does allow for you to have a long period of time to negotiate with the bank and remain in the property at a much more discounted price than you would be paying if you were living somewhere comparable or if you were still making the mortgage payment. Um, so I think in that regard, it's favorable in that you're able to keep the litigation going and keep the line of communication and continue to negotiate. Every case is different. Every case has its own specific fact pattern and will determine, you know, how viable a modification is, how viable stripping the entire lien is. And ultimately, if you have a rescission case that your facts include the rescission being done within the first three years of the loan being originated, then you have a really strong case for rescission. And in those instances, you know, that, that fact pattern is the best. So, um, you know, we look at the fact patterns, we compare it to what things we could sue for, and we go, again, like you said, for one to four causes of action that are just top-notch best ones we can find. Well said. Uh, do you think, uh, I mean, my impression is still that the uh, the law, as always, is evolving and as always slowly, but that it is continuing to evolve in favor of uh, of the homeowners. Would you agree with that? Yes, I certainly would, in that the longer that we stay in the fight, the more educated the judges become, and yes, it's just quite more favorable than it was, you know, in the beginning where it was, you know, the borrowers looked at a deadbeat and not, they just didn't care to make their payments. I think there's a lot more knowledge in the industry as a whole between judges and attorneys that that's not really what we're dealing with. I think that's a very good point about educating the, the judge because a, a common error by, especially by pro se litigants and uh, even with many lawyers is because the person sitting in the robes uh, uh, is a judge, there's an assumption that they must know everything. And they don't. Uh, whether they've been a judge for one day or, or 30 years, they don't know your case. They don't know the history. They don't know all the laws. They have to be told which laws you're relying on. They have to be told what facts you're relying on. And you have to be able to prove those facts. And by organizing your information uh, in the ways that Patricia is talking about, um, you'll be able to do that. But it's very important that no assumption be made that judge automatically understands what the issues are. They probably don't. And the judges that do are still not completely versed in the whole body of law, nor are they completely versed in investment banking, 
nor do they know anything about your case. A, a big mistake that pro se litigants make, in my opinion, is they go into court and they're basically all conspiracy theories, which happen to be true, but it, they're irrelevant. To say we all know that you know Chase has been fined fifty billion dollars and they're still earning a lot of money doing the wrong thing or whatever it is, and that's not a real argument in order to win a case. So the reason I'm I'm speaking here is that I think that it would be very wise for people who are involved in foreclosures or foreclosure defense, or for that matter, other types of consumer loans, that they become uh, informed, well-informed, about the various laws and various jurisdictions and various procedures that apply. And this seminar is certainly one uh, giant step uh, to to get to the point where the the litigant, the uh, attorney, can present in a credible and efficient fashion to the judge what this case is about. And the more credible the attorney is, the more likely that there will be some place towards the end a uh, settlement offer that the homeowner just can't walk away from. Would you agree with that, Patricia? Yes, absolutely. That's the goal. So, okay. So the the, the website for Patricia is www.attorneyprod, as in Patricia Rodriguez, uh, dot, uh, dot com. And you can uh, also get to her by calling our numbers. We'll uh, uh, forward the information to you. And Patricia, in the in the current environment, um, we've seen a few decisions on rescission. Uh, the judges are certainly balking at it. It's like they want to overrule the United States Supreme Court. Um, what uh, what have you seen since the last time we spoke about, uh, about rescission? Well, I think, again, it's really key when you're looking at your rescission claims to see if you have that within the first three years. And if you don't, what other viable options do you have? If you're working with a client who absolutely disputes the debt is owed to anyone, let alone this you know, entity, that, and if your client has already went ahead and done the rescission before he's come, then you, you know, have an interest in his, you know, in his best or her best interest to enforce that rescission claim. Now, that may mean waiting for them to file their suit, you know, to, to acknowledge within 20 days or for them to file their suit within, you know, a year. What I do see consistently is for clients who rescind their loan, the other side hesitates or does not at all record a notice of default because they don't want to do anything that would trigger a, a, an ability and a claim to say, you know, this NOD is recorded in opposite of the rescission that's occurred. 
So again, if you've worked with a client and they have tried a modification route and they are simply not getting the offers they want, they're not interested in negotiating anymore, then rescission may be the right thing for them to do. Right. I I, I see that as a great leveler. And uh, of course, we'll see in subsequent decisions uh, as uh, both federal and state judges are, are I think, reversed. Uh, when they try to ignore the Jessenowski decision from the Supreme Court, which was unanimous. Um, I think also um, I want to make mention here that the procedure of rescission is definitely um, an issue that people can learn from uh, by going to uh, seminars and yours in particular, um, because the truth in lending rescission is all about procedure. It's not about substance, really. And there are steps. You first, you send the uh, uh, the letter saying, I hereby cancel. And the next step is the uh, so-called creditor uh, is required to either comply with the TILA rescission statute or file a lawsuit to vacate the rescission because the rescission is effective as a matter of law, by operation of law, um, same as a court order. And, uh, well, Patricia, have you ever seen a case in which Anyone ever sued to vacate a rescission? Not yet. I haven't seen that. Yeah, I haven't I seen it. I think there are some standing issues there. Yes, because the, the, the standing issue that Patricia is talking about is the, the fact that the so-called uh, creditor has to really be a creditor. They can't exactly. use the note mortgage as the basis for assert, asserting standing because the note and mortgage are already void by operation of law. So the the issue here procedurally and what's driving the courts crazy is that the procedure as it's now set forth in the statute allows even a wrongful rescission to be effective. And the, the the question that I was referring to before about whether or not there's a huge vacuum or a new world order, that's going to be the subject of many decisions uh, yet to come in state and federal courts. Um, well, first of all, Patricia, let me just get your take on what I just said. I'm sorry, did you say that again? I just wanted Hello? to get your take. I'm what I just said about the procedure uh, uh -huh. in rescission. Right. I mean, I think it's absolutely correct, you know, getting judges to recognize it and actually enforce it and see it as a matter of operation of law is the challenge because ultimately you do still have to 
at least in a non-judicial foreclosure state like California, if they record that notice of default, then you've got to do an affirmative action to enforce the rescission. And so the court gets some ability to see if it's a valid rescission or not. It, it is the case procedurally that even if it's an invalid rescission, that it is still effective on, upon operation of law and that they then need to file an action to void it. And they need to have the creditor standing to bring that action. And again, you're correct in saying that they can't use what's already been invalidated as a matter of law as the basis of their standing as a creditor. Um, but again, getting a judge to understand that and educating the judge and explaining that to judge is the key concept behind the judge rallying behind the cause. Right. It's not just a matter of uh, clarifying for the judge. It's convincing him to do something that he doesn't want to do. Right. Um, and it's especially important recognizing in California, especially that just doing the rescission letter alone is not going to stop a, a, a trustee's you know, foreclosure oh, right. sale, there has to yeah. be more. You're going to actively, proactively, you know, either through non-litigation techniques or litigation techniques, enforce those rights that have come about by the rescission. Right. I think uh, uh, we'll have to close down, but I want to make mention of the fact, I think I've mentioned it before, but I sometimes forget, that I think it's important that the rescission be recorded as an exhibit to something that is recordable as a notice of interest in real property. Patricia, yes, thank you we, very much yeah. for coming on the okay. show. And we will uh, reconvene a week from now. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thanks for listening to our broadcast. We hope that you tell your friends about us and let them know that there is hope and help in this financial crisis. Tune in every week to The Neil Garfield Show for free information and advice and visit our blog daily at The Living Lies Blog. We provide support services, the latest strategies, analysis, expert consultations, testimony and declarations to use in your battle against the largest economic crime in human history. For information concerning Neil, the team at Living Lies or the law firm, go to www livinglies.wordpress.com or call 520-405-1688. The opinions expressed on this broadcast are those of the host and should not be attributed to any other person or entity.